0: Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host Albert, and this is episode 210. Happy Anniversary! Part (laughs) 3. Hi folks, welcome back to the anniversary series. This is the third and final part. Uh, If you have missed the first two parts, we have reached out to other solitaire gaming podcasts to celebrate our anniversary basically by talking to them and letting listeners know about other podcasts out there that, that talk about solitaire games. and you know, Because there's so many options, so many choices. It's just kind of neat to see how far it's come. So today's episode is the last one. We have three different podcasts this time. I hope you enjoy these. These are really interesting ones. But before that, let me just say that we have focused on the podcast and we have focused on the ones that are active. There have been many podcasts that have come before. There are also other types of media that, that publish solitaire content that we have not focused on. And they're all very good and very interesting. You should check them out. There's blogs and YouTube videos galore and all sorts of stuff. And so, this is not to diminish them, but hopefully, you could find them and reach out and enjoy those. And if you don't know of any, check out the One Player Guild in the descriptions page. You'll find links to all sorts of stuff like that. Anyway, without further ado, let's uh, move on to our interviews.
1: All squads must have two troops checking motion detectors at all times. There are creatures using the fog and the darkness to sneak through our defenses. Watch your backs, people. Crap, crap, crap. Genetic camouflage. I hate this planet.
2: Could be worse.
1: Probably will be soon. We're losing troops faster than I'd like.
2: We've got some stealth troops out there of our own, you know.
1: Yeah, but it's morning soon and the fog isn't lifting. That gives them the advantage. I need more armor. Can you spare anything?
0: I can send over some reclaimer suits for now.
1: Do it. I'm watching the rangers knifing things, but that doesn't make them any less squishy if they miss something. Oh, God! What? There's something out there infecting our troops now? I just watched a dead ranger stand up and kill two of our own before
0: someone took it out. What is this? Okay, I officially hate this planet. If any trooper draws their weapon on one of you, take them out. Something is turning our dead against us. Stay strong and pick your targets. I don't want any friendly fire.
1: Encouraging.
0: I don't have time for that. They'll manage.
2: You do not get to write my eulogy.
1: I'm
0: not planning to need to.
2: And that was from episode ten of Once Upon a Die, which was Zeno Shift Dreadmire, which I, I mentioned in our conversation. It was a tricky one to do that because the game itself doesn't it isn't hugely narrative, but it presents narrative. It's a very emergent narrative game. So hence, I created it, it, essentially the two characters are the players. Uh, moving troops around like you would in the game um and it just creates this very frantic action packed you know war scenario of these awful plant creatures and zombie creatures versus the troops trying to defend the base and i I came up with this wrapping narrative uh around it of, of these two commanders in the base trying desperately to defend it and and i i was really happy with that that was the most recent um narrative episode that i released and i think i'd learned a lot by that point about audio production so i think it's also the highest production quality of anything i'd done
0: hi i'm talking to david of once upon a die uh really excited this is one of the longest running solo podcasts out there that i know of um and so it's pretty neat to talk to somebody else who's been doing this for a while
2: hey david how are you doing welcome i'm doing very well thank you very much thank you for having me on albert
0: oh yeah my pleasure um I'm really excited to talk to you because your show is really different than any other podcast show I've any other gaming show podcast I've listened to. Um because you like to include narrative descriptions of the game as a huge yes. part of describing how the game works and the gameplay and whatnot.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Once Upon a Die was an idea I came up with uh a long time ago now. Um and the idea sort of was spawned out of my love of solitaire gaming, which is how I got into board gaming originally. Um, I I sort of got into it at around a time when I didn't really have any friends who were into the hobby. So I found Board Game Geek and I posted saying, hey, need games for a a solo player? Can you help? And I got a surprising number of responses, actually, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, went out and started my collection from there. And it it, it took a long time for me to come up with the idea of doing a podcast. I was actually um, working at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto, which is the the big sort of Canadian board game cafe, uh, or the first one. Um, and, uh, Are there more now? There are more now. There's there's all over the place now, but uh, back in in the day, Snakes was it. And I was chatting with one of the folks there and and sort of had just come up with the idea of, yeah, I'd like to do something around solitaire gaming. And, uh, also I'm an, I'm an actor and a writer and I'm trying to fathom out how to do this. And I, it actually hashed together this idea that I would talk about the game. Not so much like a review, more like an overview of how it plays, what the mechanisms are that are in it, what the theme is that's in it, that sort of thing. I do talk about what I think about it, but I've in more recent episodes, I started scoring solely on how good the solitaire play is and how Mm -hmm. thematic the storytelling is that's within it, because those are sort of the two criteria I was most interested in. And I came up with the idea of having a radio drama as a part of the podcast that was created based on a single playthrough of the game that I was covering. And it didn't matter whether I won or lost the game I would just play through it and put together so what what I ended up doing essentially was I would put a dictaphone down and record all of my thought processes while I was playing through the game. Oh okay. Pick the ones that I like the most. Like here's this really cool decision where my character came into a really difficult situation and dramatize them. I would write a little, you know, uh, a bit of a what would ultimately be a radio play. And then over time I started actually getting other people involved to do voice acting for me. So essentially what the podcast is is 20 to 25 minutes per episode um, talking about the game for half of it and dramatizing that playthrough for the other half so that you can really kind of get the sense of what the story is in the game and that sort of thing. Um, every other episode to give myself time to put those together <laughs> I would do a game that with no theme to it at all or very little theme. Uh, so I wouldn't do a story for those ones. Uh, those would be the abstracts and things like that where I would just talk about it and it would be a shorter episode. But Oh, so I- you didn't
0: really... You deliberately chose to pick a game with, with very little theme just so you wouldn't be tempted to narrate it?
2: More so <laughs> that I had the time to put together a more robust narration for the ones I was Okay. Because it's, okay. it's as somebody who, you know, ultimately, I, I refer to the narrative episodes as, as the meat of Once Upon a Die. Mm-hmm. Um, But they take a long time to put together, getting people to be the cast. Uh, you know, it's, it's a lot to kind of wrap all that together. And it takes a lot of time for somebody where this isn't a job for me. This is just a hobby. Um, you know, it's something I'd like to be a job one day, but that takes a long time to get to that stage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while I've got to support myself and all that sort of thing, I don't really have the time to do a, a two, every two weeks, do one of these things. Uh, and so that's what I did. I did a, a non-thematic and then a thematic. And the thematic would always have that radio place.
0: Very nice. Cool. And we're going to uh, include a couple outtakes of some of the ones you've done, just to so mm-hmm. get a sense for it, which will be really neat. Um, you sent me a couple samples, and I don't know, maybe we'll include all of them. Maybe we'll include some of it, We'll figure it out. Uh, well, the one, um, <laughs>
2: yeah, I think they, they give a, a nice little flavor of what the show is all about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that is cool. So you actually write the the script and all this, and it's I guess it's not fiction because it's based on a real gameplay. This really happened to the meeples on the board and whatnot.
2: Yeah, I mean, I extrapolate it a little bit to make it more interesting. Like I hmm. did a narrative episode, one of the, I'm not sure what you'll use at the time that we're speaking, but one of the uh, abstracts I sent you was from Zeno Shift Dreadmire. Um, and that's a game where the narrative, I kind of, the two people who are the characters in it are the players rather than the pieces on the board and they're talking about moving the pieces around essentially um and so sometimes i have to abstract the narrative out a little bit uh, i did legacy the testament of due to crazy as one of my episodes which is all about mm-hmm. building a family tree and it wasn't the people in the family tree who were the narrator it was essentially a, a, an imagined person who was discovering this family tree for themselves so I sometimes have to find ways to create a narrative that works as a radio play, um, but I think they're, they're all games that have it strongly influenced, and all the decisions that happen and all the outcomes that happen occurred in that playthrough that I had.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that is such a neat game, too, The Testament of Duke de Cresci. It, yeah. it is a game that really, when you play it, it's very abstract, really, and, and it spans a long period of time, but you still get these really cool stories out of it.
2: You're yeah, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that one I did slightly differently. Normally I record, I, I base it on all the thought processes I come up with. In that case, I actually finished the game, then looked at the family tree and went, well, how can I make a cool story out of
0: this? Uh, okay. Yeah.
2: Um, just cause yeah, that is a little more, it's about, I think it's probably the most abstract game I've done a narrative for. Um, but I think that once you have that finished tableau, it gives you such a wonderful kind of depiction of this family.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me want to go play it again. Now it's been
2: a while. <laughs> I like that game a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've already told us what inspired you to start your podcast. That was one of my questions, and I've been asking everybody that. I guess we'll forego that because, because we already
2: know the answer to that. Well, I guess the one thing I would mm-hmm. like to add credit to uh, Joan Moriarty, who, um, if you listened to the, uh, the Snakes and Arthurs podcast back in the day, uh, was the presenter of it for a very long time. Um, and it was actually talking with uh, her that made me understand that logic of how to really start it i had the inspiration but i do want to to put sh- a shout out to joan there for, for actually getting me to essentially put pen to paper and i didn't really know how to go about starting the thing and she said well why don't you start with the game that inspired you to do this in the first place which was arkham horror uh second edition which anyone who's played that knows what kind of amazing emergent storytelling you can get from that game uh and i went yeah you know what you're absolutely right. That's." that just makes the most sense let's start with the thing that really gave me this idea so mm, just credit idea. where credit's due joan was a real help in getting this on the road
0: oh very cool thank you joan <laughs> mm-hmm. um one thing we should mention is you you haven't done a lot of episodes again you said you're real busy and yeah i'll be honest i had unsubscribed from the show for a while because i thought it had just gone dead and i stumbled across it a, a while later so, oh my gosh i've been missing stuff then i've resubscribed <laughs>
2: Yeah, life very much got in the way, and I really mm-hmm. had to put it on pause. And I was literally at the stage of bringing it back when the pandemic hit.
0: And
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you did a couple of episodes you know, last year. I did, but I, I literally had scripts ready to go for narrative episodes. I, I had played through this war of mine, which was going to be the next narrative episode that I did, and I can't get cast around a microphone anymore. Uh, and I probably could send it off to people to record at home and do it that way, but I like. The consistency of audio that you get from recording everybody around the same mic mm-hmm. it's part of the quality that i want my podcast to have and what's great is i actually got two podcast producing jobs including the snake Cast, off the back of the quality of what i was producing oh nice and okay even though i was still learning at the time obviously i had something there and i want to maintain that like that audio quality is so important especially with an audio drama because if you have somebody who is supposed to be in the same room and the sound of their voice and their background is completely different it pulls you right out of that narrative um and so i haven't done you know it's been i think three years since i actually put out a narrative episode and i'm very keen to get back to them but obviously i need to wait for life to be in a position where i can do that and until You know everybody's vaccinated and all that sort of thing that can't happen unfortunately so what i have done is i pivoted a little bit to do different kinds of content i did an abstract episode on um, gentle rain which is a game that kevin wilson put out for free for people just to zen out during the pandemic which has now been released as a published game which is really cool Uh, i also interviewed rob davio when pandemic legacy season zero was coming out and Mm. that was put up both on my youtube channel and on um uh the podcast as an audio thing but for the most part i've had to drop back now i have plans to bring the podcast back with something different completely um not talking about specific games but talking about gaming culture in a very specific lens i'm not going to announce that right now in fact no stuff it i'm going to announce it right now this is (laughs) an anniversary what you know we're celebrating why not celebrate so, I, I have the idea, and I'm not sure this will happen in 2021. I'm hoping by summer. I don't really know. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tired of myself at putting deadlines on things that I then can't reach. But I'm going to do a series of short episodes on how to learn games. Um, because I've seen a lot of content out there on how to teach but I haven't seen much on there mm. about how to learn it in the first place. And I'm always the person in my group who sits there with the rule book and works out how to play the game because I'm a bit of a sponge for rules, but not everybody is. And so I would yep. like to put something out there that helps people. So that's there's going to be cool. a, a series of mini episodes coming out about that, um, which will hopefully just keep, You know, I want to keep my, my work active now that I, I'm, you know, I'm in the mindset to get back into it until I can actually start putting out the proper episodes again. So that's coming up soon. Keep your eyes on my RSS feed. Uh, it will be live as soon as I can make it so. Um, but that's the next big thing. And then back to regular content down the line, you know, once I'm able to actually bring people together and, and do those recordings again the way I used to.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, to to the the future content with narrative uh, descriptions of the games. And the idea of teaching people how to learn a game is a great idea because especially playing solo, it could be really daunting to, to pull out a rule book and i've I've uh, yeah. backed a back to game on a uh, gmt's p five hundred and it's supposed to be shipping any day now. I looked at their online rulebook. It's like an eighty page rulebook and another eighty <laughs> page book. It's, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Yeah, <laughs> it's over I one. know what you
2: mean. I have yeah. a um what it, uh g m t uh, they did yep. a, a solo game on the Danbusters Buster's raid, which is mm-hmm. one of the parts of world war two that I particularly love uh, as, as a really cool kind of innovation and development cycle. And the movie was great back in the day. It's a little dated now, of course, but um, I bought that and I was like, yeah, this is really cool. Let's learn. And I ha- have stalled it at every stage because it's just a lot to get through. And that's, you know, even as someone who's comfortable learning rules, that one was a real hurdle <laughs> for me.
0: Yeah. I, I had that one. I, I had also back that one. And, in- I think I played the first introductory scenario. It's supposed to be a really fast minigame. And it took forever. Yep. <laughs> it took forever yep, to learn. Same. And I think the second time it kind of went faster.
2: Yeah. It's also more wargaming, which if you're more of a board gamer than a wargamer, it is a new world to kind of step into. And GMT kind of bridges that gap quite well with some of their games. Mm-hmm. But I, I just haven't, uh, I haven't had the ability, the time partly, but also just some, the, the brain space to uh, kind of pass all the information in that rulebook and, and get it to the table.
0: Yep. I totally get that. Yeah. Th- those big games. Th- it's just hard. It's just hard. Yeah. Unless you cool. Totally really hard. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so is there anything else functional about your show? Anything that we're, well, I think the out?
2: the biggest thing right now actually is that it, because the podcast has had to go on hiatus, it's actually now a Twitch stream. Um, I oh, okay. have, I've moved on to video, uh, content. It's, it's a little slow right now just because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a long time since this pandemic thing's been going on and I'm having to focus more on, on, you know, keeping my head above water and, and paying the bills and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do now is I teach and play through games live on Twitch uh, and then post them rather irregularly, but I try and get them onto my YouTube channel. Um, so it's uh, twitch.tv forward slash once upon a uh, die and YouTube. I don't quite have a hundred subscribers yet. So I've got one of those awful alphanumeric, Uh, URLs for the YouTube channel, but if you just look up Once Upon a Die, uh, I'm listed there as DA Xavier, which is my pseudonym within the board gaming world, and uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. Um, They're not perfect playthroughs, I'll be the first person to say that. It's really hard work. I don't know if people have really thought about this, and I know a couple of people, I think I heard Rodney Smith comment on this at one point, it's really hard putting content online, talking to people while you're playing the game, and not making mistakes. And it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I've gone back and I've, I've, I've finished a game and felt that went really well. And I put it up on YouTube. And within a week, somebody's posted, yeah, you missed this rule completely. And it's a game I've played, you know, 50 times and I know how to play it. But just because I've been talking, I've just missed something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like I played Nemo's War a little while ago. And I got to the point where you take all of the innocent, you know, uh, male ships and all that kind of stuff. And you flip them over to become warships. And I just forgot to do that. Um, so it's, you know, they're not perfect tutorials, but I want, what I'm mostly about is giving the vibe of the game. Uh, I, I sort of recently adopted, uh, sort of, again, haven't really made this part of everything I'm doing yet, but I'm about to, I've, I've started calling myself the storytelling gamer at a sobriquet Hmm. that someone suggested that I think fits. And it really is what I'm all about is the story in games. Um, and so that's really my big focus. I want to get the rules, right, but it is hard work. Right. (laughs) and sometimes
0: sometimes i i personally think the rules matter less than having a fun game experience with a good story you know if i mess up a rule and it worked out well in the end and and it was a fun challenging experience whether i won or lost it doesn't matter so much i
2: don't want to break the, the 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 um the main feel of the game by screwing up a rule i will go i if i can go back if i've done something really bad i'll go back and try and fix what i've done but if i just miss something small and i turn around and i go well okay i'll adhere to that rule from now on but i'm going to take the fact that it just went by the wayside for that one minute and that's okay Mm -hmm. um now i want when i'm doing my tutorials obviously i want people to understand how the game works correctly so i do it kind of sucks when i get that wrong but being live i don't have the luxury of going back and refilming it like if i make that mistake it's it's there and it's in that video and there's not really much i can do if it's game breaking I'll record the I'll do another episode on the game and fix it. But if it's just a small thing, like forgetting to make a bunch of the, uh, you know, I lost that game in Nemo's war anyway. It didn't matter that the 10 mail ships left on the board didn't, you know, turn aggressive. That was fine. Right. You know, yeah. You just got go with it well. that way.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. That makes sense. I cannot imagine doing a live playthroughs on Twitch. Cause I would personally, I would start playing the game and get focused on what to do right and forget it that I'm, broadcasting anything nobody would You'd see me sitting there thinking
2: <laughs> i've done that, that a couple of thing. times i i kind of i think actually funnily enough doing the podcast helped with that because it, i speak my thoughts out loud a lot okay and actually a lot of the feedback i've had on my stream is that people appreciate hearing the full thought process i'm going through before i make a move because it really teaches them what a and it, of course it's me and it's subjective to me but it teaches people what a thought process might be for progressing in the game Uh, and people appreciated Mm -hmm. that. But yeah, when I did, I did uh, a stream of Fuse and Flatline together and I did a stream of XCOM, uh, and those two with the timed mechanisms to them, like during those timed phases, I was talking as much as I could, but I I definitely think I fell silent a couple of times. (laughs) Just, you know, Oh God, what do I do next?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I imagine, but you know, with the time that might be interesting anyway, just watching you physically panic.
2: panic. (laughs) 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 Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, very cool. All right, so I had one last question for you. Yeah. Uh I wanted everybody to tell us about a game that they just want to introduce to the listeners. Any game, a game you love, hate, whatever.
2: Oh my goodness. Um I mean there are there are so many great games out there. I think um the one that I was really pleasantly surprised by recently that that um I I gave it a very, a very ignominious award in one of my podcasts. Mm-hmm. I did a retrospective at the big uh, of 2016. Um, and I gave it the award of the game I hadn't managed to play yet that I was most looking forward to for the reason that I'd not been able to get myself through the rulebook uh, because it was it was impenetrable to me. Um, and that game is Makina Arcana. OK, um, now it's just come out with a third edition, third edition, second edition, whatever, new edition um, that was kickstarted recently. And my understanding is that it simplifies the rules, but also clears them up a lot. Um, But when I actually only ended up getting it to the table because I went on to BGG and found some helpers that people had posted there and like quick, quick starts and and, uh, rules guides and things like that. And I finally sat down and put it through its paces and it was really cool. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's just about getting from, you know, you, you have a 10 chapter story and each chapter is just get from this point in the board to that point in the board and press that button. And that's literally all it is. But there's enough (laughs) surrounding narrative to it, and the gameplay is engaging enough that it just absolutely fascinated me. It's a steampunk Lovecraftian dungeon crawl, uh, is how it was described. And if you have any idea of my style of gaming, that's three things that put together are amazing. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of a lot of people are sick of Lovecraft in uh, board games, but I I really get behind when it's done well. psychological horror element of it and things like that that could really come out of it and this it was a really solid game i think the lovecraft part of that is mostly in the creature design the monster design um but it is excellent uh and so it's i think it's probably better known now that that other kickstarter has come out Um and it's it's redone itself but it i really really enjoyed that and if people haven't heard of it before it's worth checking out
0: cool okay i hadn't heard of that one i'm gonna have to check it out because it does sound neat i I like the idea of steampunk i love lovecraft stories especially if if they're not like you're super tough super powerful and can defeat everything if it feels like a lovecraft story where it's actually a challenge and you're probably gonna lose that's what i like
2: (laughs) yeah it's it's an interesting one because technically you have to lose all the characters in the game in order to lose it's it's odd like that and so you kind of have I can't remember how many characters it is, but it's almost like a dozen lives. But I went into it going, oh, this is fine. I'm blitzing through this first chapter. And then I think chapter three, one of my characters died. And I was like, oh, actually, you know, this, this can be a real thing. Uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of peril in this if you're unlucky. Um, and I think I got lucky for my first game. I did win it. But, it's you know, since then, you see characters die. You see that end getting closer. And it is it's very tense.
0: Oh, I like that. That, that. that does sound neat. And so one game is all the chapters? One playthrough?
2: Yeah, like it. it, I think my first playthrough took me something like three and a half hours. It's not a short game by any means, but you play through those 10 chapters and you get to the end of that particular story. Like one chapter only takes you about 10 to 15 minutes, um, really, Mm -hmm. because you just have to fight through that little section. It's almost, it has a kind of uh, Mansions of Madness feel to it in the sense of, you know, you clear out this room, then you move on to the next room and then you move on to the next room. But that room is a full chapter. And you deal and you get a little story bite at the end of it. So, cha- chapter is, is uh, it makes it sound bigger than it really is, I think.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That no, sounds really cool. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on. Um,
2: Thank you. And yeah,
0: I, I look forward to hearing more episodes.
2: Yeah, it will be back before the end of the year. That's a promise. While I felt a great sense of relief once the boys and their fabulous machines left Europe having saved so many people, it was to be short-lived. A package had been left on the steps of the Creighton Ward mansion. I had Parker check it for explosives and other hazardous materials before he opened it. It contained a small tape player with a tape loaded into it.
1: Lady Penelope Creighton Ward. I would like to let you know that your precious international rescue has finally failed. By the time you receive this message, the Martian space probe will have taken off, and there is a new atomic explosive on board. Rest assured, there will not be enough of the rocket left for anybody to recover. With my alliances, I will have complete domination over Martian space, as we will have landed a probe of our own, Long before another one can be constructed. I win, Lady Penelope.
2: <laughs> Uh, So that was a part of episode eight of Once Upon a Die, which was Thunderbirds, the board game. Uh, It's a little quieter than a lot of my sections. I wanted Thunderbirds has these moments of being a little calmer, especially where Lady Penelope is involved. And I wanted to have that moment of calm in the middle of this one, but with that threat of the hood. Uh, And what I love particularly about this one is that the voice of the hood is actually provided by Matt Leacock himself. Uh, I just wrote to him and say, hey, I'm doing this podcast on the game. Would you like to provide a voice? And bless him, he got back and said, yeah, sure. Uh, You know, send me the script. And he came back with this thing, including that amazing laugh at the end, which just wrapped it up so nicely. Uh, So, yeah, I was I was really happy with that one.
1: I
3: suppose. How do you how do you reference you guys?
1: Uh, One stop co-op shop or OSCS uh, for all like the discord or whatever.
3: Sounds great. So why don't you tell me a bit about your guys' team?
1: Sure. So uh, One Stop Co-op Shop, we cover uh, solo and cooperative board games, so not just solo, but it is a, a lot of solo. <laughs> uh, the YouTube channel, which is probably what we're best known for, that was started by uh, Colin. He's uh, one of our main like playthrough guys. Um, and then separately, uh, Peter Gusis and I, who are game designers, started a podcast. Back then it was called co-op cast that was focused on reviewing cooperative games and also discussing like how we felt about the design and kind of our own design sensibility compared to how the game like kind of came together um and then colin along with a friend of his named steve they liked our podcast and decided to start their own and then at some point we were (laughs) like guesting on each other's podcasts and this kind of stuff and we just thought why not combine it so we kind of formed a combined podcast and we thought with the uh the greater visibility of the YouTube channel. Like that was kind of a more familiar uh, brand to people. We just changed the name to the one-stop co-op shop podcast. Um, And then at some point I joined the YouTube channel. So uh, now me and Colin make videos. And we also, uh, it's kind of like a six person team. So we have uh, Peter and Steve who mostly do podcasts and we have a second streaming channel. Now we have uh, me and Colin who I uh, do the majority of the work on the YouTube channel. And then we also have uh, some crossover. We have Bernt from uh his own YouTube channel Meet Me at the Table. He does some uh playthroughs that he double posts on our channel and his own channel and him and Colin do playthroughs together a lot because they live near each other. And then also uh Jason Perez, uh formerly of the Every Night is Game Night podcast and mm-hmm. then uh Good Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jason's great. And uh, for those who don't know him, he's also a reviewer for the Dice Tower. He also has a newer channel called Shelf Stories on YouTube. Uh, he does uh, some playthrough videos, and then also he takes some of his uh, conversations from Shelf Stories from the YouTube channel and posts them as podcasts on our podcast. So it's a sort of like weird interconnected uh, team of six people currently.
3: <laughs> that is, That feels like a gigantic team. I know that we're only... a group of two, which is for us on the podcast and having to manage six people. Uh that sounds exhausting to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it can be. The nice thing is that we kind of have our lanes, you know, so like Jason and Barrett might do one video a week on the YouTube channel, but then Colin and I do the rest. Um and the podcasts are pretty much always Peter or Steve or Jason. It's like one of them taking the lead and the rest of us might not even be involved. It might just be like Steve interviewing a designer or Jason posting a video he did. So, yeah, we have numerous <laughs> Google Sheets and uh, other kind of things to kind of coordinate, but it all works out okay.
3: I, I can't I imagine the amount of coordination that takes. What inspired you to start content creation?
1: So for uh, me, along with Peter, like I was saying a bit there, we we were listening to a lot of gaming podcasts. And Peter was like, well, why don't we start our own podcast? And it it again was like not necessarily reviewing games, but it was from that design uh, side originally, because we had, we had released a few games at that point. We were still designing other ones and we thought we might just have sort of a, a different take, not, not that there aren't podcasts with game designers on them, but specifically also the fact that we love co-op games. And I think we, at least at the time we might've been the only cooperative focused uh, podcast. Although again, it's Mm -hmm. kind of branched down to solo as well. Um, so yeah, we 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 kind of wanted to like give what might be a different perspective on things, focusing on co-op, focusing on the design aspect. And then uh in terms of me jumping into the YouTube side of things, Colin only did uh playthroughs and he he had said that he like never really wanted to do reviews. So we were already doing reviews on the podcast and I was like, "Oh, I've, you know, I'm I'm a former uh, actor, so I I'm not like afraid to be on a camera." And uh <laughs> I thought you know, I could do some reviews just to kind of give us some different content. And I, I don't mind like getting to kind of the YouTube thing. Um, so I jumped in and and th- th- that ramped up significantly when Colin for a while, actually, I uh, decided to step away from the channel just because of life and, and busyness and family and that kind of stuff. Uh, so for a while there, I was like kind of entirely running the YouTube channel. But um, I'm much happier with the current arrangement where I don't have to make all the videos myself. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, the, having someone else you can rely on is hugely valuable. And I give a lot of credit and thanks to Albert, my co-host over here for all the time that he puts into this podcast. Um, what is the reason why you decided to start the, your podcast or the whole group with a focus on co-ops? What was it that called you at co-ops? Is it a genre that you really like playing or was it just a, a niche that you felt was under addressed in the content creation?
1: I guess a bit of both, but certainly it is and remains uh, the like genre or mechanic or category of games that I'm most attracted to. Um, and not just co-op for actual cooperative planning, but also just because most co-op games are also soloable. So you kind of get like double duty out of them. Um, and that that's definitely been a transition for me personally. And I think Peter is uh, the same way in that we started out as mostly competitive gamers. And I mean, back when we were first playing games, that's almost <laughs> exclusively what there was, you know, like, I guess, uh, Knizia's Lord of the Rings came out and uh, pandemic a while after that. And like Arkham Horror original edition for people who played that, but mostly <laughs> these, we were competitive gamers like all the time. Um, but especially as I, you know, once I married my wife and uh, as my kids got older, Cooperative gaming was very attractive because it took away that that kind of whole uh, potentially fraught competitive aspect of things like uh, my wife getting pissed at me for the night because I had beaten her (laughs) in a very closely fought game, you know, or my son crying because he lost a game. Um,
3: That's a major one with me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and another big thing, I guess, is that I've been an RPG player since I was like very young. Um, Even before I was really doing role playing, I was doing RPGs like with my brothers and stuff. And even though that is, in some ways, like a one versus many uh, model to gaming, you know, with like the Game Master kind of against the players, most of my RPG experiences have always been like the Game Master being kind of like more of a moderator or a Mm -hmm. guide in the game. So in the end, it feels almost entirely cooperative because the players and the group are all working together and the Game Master is in a way part of the team just like kind of painting the scene and you know delineating what happens from the player choices and actions see so, yeah, I, I guess if i really look far enough back then the co-op might have come from like rpg playing
3: slightly tangential but since you did bring up the rpg this is something that i'm sure our listeners know about the debate between uh, albert my co-host, and myself have you played any solo rpgs and do you enjoy those
1: I have not. Uh, Liz Davidson, one of my friends. Uh, if y'all don't know her, she's from Beyond Solitaire and Dice Tower. Uh, she covered. Uh, she did a great interview on her podcast, uh, the Beyond Solitaire podcast, about solo RPGs. And honestly, like I- I've heard about of, uh, Four Against Darkness. I've never played it though. Um, the <laughs> so it's just my my personal bias, not having played anything. So t- totally like meaningless, basically. But uh, from what I understand, a lot of solo RPGs like Four Against Darkness kind of come down to, in a way, just like random table generation, like roll on this table and then roll on that table, Um, which for me is fine. Like I used to play Advanced Hero Quest way back in the day where you could do a randomized dungeon and fight some Skaven and have a good time. But yeah, for for me, RPG playing is uh, about the mutually created story, about uh, the surprises of different people and the choices they make. So I, I've never had... I, I love solo gaming, but solo RPG playing in particular, I've never had any interest in.
3: I'm, I'm strong with you, brother. <laughs> I definitely agree.
1: Okay, okay. I wasn't sure if, if I was on your side or Albert's side. <laughs> you're,
3: definitely, you're definitely on my side with that one, but Albert has been a strong proponent of enjoying those games. So he's the one that usually takes the review forward on those type of things.
1: Well, yeah, like I, I did a review of... Um... The Hunted, which is uh, a game in GMT's like submarine series. And mm-hmm. I really didn't enjoy that one very much. And not that I don't think others couldn't enjoy it. I know it's a very popular series, but for me, it felt like, you know, kind of like spreadsheet and random number table, the game. And I, I, I like more choices. I don't want to just like roll dice and kind of find out what happens to myself. I know that is a kind of a form of narrative generation and storytelling that can be enjoyable for people. But for me, it seems like a, not a very pointful activity, you know?
3: Mm -hmm. do you feel you said that you're a designer do you feel that your um sort of journey into enjoying co-ops over competitive games has affected how your designs go
1: oh absolutely um the very first game we designed was fully competitive that one never got published you know you you design lots of games that never see the light of day um our first published game salvation road that was with uh, van Ryder. Um, that one was fully cooperative, but then our next game, Dark Dealings, was, uh, competitive with the solo mode. So we, we did not think of ourselves as, like, cooperative designers at the outset, but at this point, um, I don't think any of the games we have under contract or any of the games that we have, like, kind of in our, uh, our queue, I don't think any of them are competitive. Uh, we definitely kind of have our minds in the cooperative space, and it is a very different way to design board games for solo and for co-op. Because, you, you know, you're not relying on other players to kind of provide the the obstacles or provide the barriers. You need to build in the tension. You need to build in the time pressure. You need to build in, like, all the opposition into the design itself, which I'm not saying it's more or less uh, challenging. It's just kind of a different beast than uh, cooperative designing, which, again, I've also done, but certainly co-op is kind of our focus now.
3: Mm-hmm. So I feel like you've mostly discussed what the general pros of a co-op game are what would be a con of a of a co-op game what's the sort of thing that a co-op game would bring to the table that you would immediately say no that that is not the sort of thing for me
1: are you saying what are are you asking what are the cons of like cooperative games in general or like a specific thing that i think is a really big problem in co-op games
3: what is a specific thing that you don't like in co-op games or okay (laughs) that commonly shows up
1: Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, I think semi-cooperative games are almost always terrible, at least for my personal tastes. Um, I would much rather play a fully competitive or fully cooperative game than uh, things where uh, they try to kind of have competition among the players, but in an awkward way. Like The worst example of that for me are things like Defenders of the Realm or Marvel Legendary, where... It's basically a cooperative game, but they're like, hey, but one of you will win slightly more than the others if you have this arbitrary (laughs) score that is higher. It's like, who gives a crap? (laughs) But uh, besides that, looking at actually fully cooperative games. um, First of all, uh, while none of the groups I play with are really like uh, hit by alpha player syndrome much, you know, where like one player kind of quarterbacks the entire thing and runs the game. um, I I think it can be... uh, One thing that can be bad for co-op games is not having enough randomness, like input or output randomness. Uh, You need to have those random card draws. You need to have those random dice because you don't have the unpredictability of another player. You have to play against the game. So you need like randomness to keep the experience interesting. And that also helps, you know, by having hidden information and randomness to keep one player from running everything. Another big thing like this is something we always strive to avoid in our own designs and I hate it in most co-ops, especially high player count co-ops, is um, not having enough to do on your turn, not having the turns like integrated or having some kind of simultaneous function. And uh, especially when you have the potential for losing your turn or losing an action, because I mean, it's not fun and competitive either. I wouldn't say this is something that's like specific to co-ops. But if I'm playing like a five player game and <laughs> I miss my entire turn and I got to wait, you know, 10 cycles of play instead of five to go again. That's just a terrible thing for any kind of game. Um, besides that. What do, what do I not like about co usually I think about the positives. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: felt like making sure you have a challenge. because I know that often you guys will give your pros and cons when you're discussing the games that come on the yeah. podcast on the YouTube channel.
1: You know, I, I do know one that is pretty common that uh, is pretty specific to co-ops, and many games have this, and that's a lack of consistent ramp-up um, and kind of consistent uh, threat build. Pacing. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, pacing. So uh, a good example of this is... <laughs> this is going back a bit. Uh, Harry po- uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, the deck-building game. Mm. Um, th- This is a game that... They set up the threat build so that the threat only really increases and like the opposition only gets tougher when you have the location change. And for the location to change, you need to have like a bunch of these tokens build up. But they have these totally unbalanced cards in the game that easily clear away the things that would switch locations. So you get into this game state where it's like impossible for you to lose. The game is not increasing in difficulty, is not increasing in pacing, is not increasing in tension in any way. And for co-op specifically, where the players can't really increase that tension on each other and like ramp up the race themselves, I think you need to have like some mechanic where, you know, after five rounds, now you draw two cards instead of one, you know, or uh, after this happens, uh, damage is doubled on all your characters. Like you need to have something that makes the game get tougher. Uh, First of all, just that it's exciting, but also it doesn't overstay. It's welcome. You don't want a game that should be an hour long experience to take two or three hours, you know?
3: So I made you talk about negatives, but I know that everyone that has been coming on to introduce themselves, we've asked them for a good recommendation for a game. So what's a good co-op recommendation that you would give to our listeners?
1: Well, I mean, do you want a solo recommendation? I cover tons of solo games, too.
3: (laughs) Sure. Let's go ahead.
1: Well, you know what? I'll I'll do both. Um, Can can I give two? Because these are two recent ones I covered today. So these are two of my top games that I've covered this year. I've talked about them a lot if you follow our channels and stuff. A uh, first one is Bullet, which is from Level 99 Games. This is a competitive or solo or co-op, although, of course, I played mostly solo and co-op. It's a kind of uh, trying to model a bullet hell or shmup, shoot-em-up game, like video game, which uh, if you don't know what those are, that's like when you're like a little spaceship and tons of bullets are raining down on you and you got to dodge around them while you shoot enemies. Uh, but it's like a spatial kind of tactical puzzle game, In solo and co-op, you're going against these bosses, and there's huge variety in the bosses, huge variety in the characters you can take against them. In just the base game, which isn't that expensive, you have eight unique bosses and eight unique characters with their own unique decks and everything. So that one I love. And then uh, Paleo, I'm sure a lot of people are probably more familiar with, especially now that it got nominated for uh, the Spiel des Jar. But this is a uh, survival game, also solo or co-op. Um I personally didn't love the true solo variant that they have. I like two-handed uh, playing two characters better. But uh, it has a variety of scenarios and the cool thing is you can mix and match the elements of the scenarios. So like there's like the wolf scenario and the plague scenario, but you can shove those together and how well are you going to fight wolves while also trying to heal this plague on your characters? And it's got this uh, kind of cool cooperative or it's fun in solo too mechanic where Uh, You see the backs of cards and they give a a hint as to what you might face. Like, oh, it's the Riverlands. We'll probably find some game here, but maybe it'll be like a simple deer we can kill. Maybe it'll be a giant woolly mammoth that'll trample over our bones. So uh, (laughs) there's like a lot of fun kind of discovery there. It's not as harsh a survival game as like a Robinson Crusoe or something like that, where you're going to kind of be demoralized as you lose game after game. I've really enjoyed that one for solo and like playing with my family and bullet as well.
3: Well, very cool. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you coming on tonight.
1: Yeah, and uh, congratulations on ten years. It's uh, pretty amazing.
3: Thank you very much. Hope to see you guys go just as long, if not longer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. See how long we uh, want to keep at it. All right, I am. I am talking to
0: Roger Bell West of More Games and Time podcast. Hello, Roger. How are you doing? Oh, doing pretty well. Welcome. This is uh, the th- this is the final recording of my solitaire gaming podcast series, and you are for more games in time and you have been doing a podcast I guess for about a ye- year year and a half. Uh, now? this Sounds one right?
4: but this one about six months uh, just about to record episode seven tomorrow I think unless okay. I've miscounted.:
0: Is it just six months I thought you started around the holidays January well, of last year
4: uh, no, it, it was around the en- end of 2020 that we finally got together and started doing it.
0: Oh, huh, okay. <laughs> well, I feel like I've been enjoying this show for years or something.
4: <laughs> oh, we, we must have shorter episodes then. <laughs>
0: no, I like it the way it is. To me, your show is like the hardcore history of uh, Solitaire Gaming podcast. Are you familiar with that podcast?
4: I've had an episode or two, but I'm, I'm not a regular listener.
0: Okay, yeah. It, he brings a shot once every blue moon. And whenever it comes out, it's, it's a massive episode. One just came out, and it's five hours, five like five and a half hours. It's like, wow. Okay. But well, you guys are I, not that infrequent.
4: Well, I, I like having a regular schedule. I mean, yeah. I, I watch and listen to a lot of stuff on RSS feeds. And as far as I'm concerned, that just means, you know, when an episode comes out, I hear about it. Mm-hmm. And if nothing comes up, then well, you know, nothing comes up. But for a lot of people, they they like to you know check in the check in the website every week, see if there's, or every month, see if there's a new episode, that kind of thing. So I try to keep to a schedule on that. But really, it just came out of I, I listened to quite a few gaming podcasts, um, Arturn podcast in particular. I, I've contributed to a little, and they always have the what we've played recently, and then go on to the topic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah that's, that's what but i i found that a lot of the time i actually enjoy the what we've played recently a lot more so that that's really the heart of what we do
0: okay yeah yeah it's, you guys are i, I like your show because you guys are spend a lot of time talk, just talking about what you've been playing it's just like you guys are just hanging out having a friendly chat at a pub or something right and i like mm-hmm. that about the show i like like i'm just i feel like i'm hanging out with you guys you know, I, I, I want to jump in and make comments about this. It's, oh, wait, they can't hear me. <laughs> <Never mind.
4: laughs> yeah, we, we do have a forum. I mean, come, come and argue with us. But
0: uh, <laughs> See, Okay. <laughs> I got to check that out then.
4: Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you links afterwards. Okay, but, yeah, uh,
0: do that and I'll share them.
4: Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's very much, and I I've, done, I've tried doing single person recordings. None of those ever got released oh. because they just don't really work for me. But mm-hmm. if, if I'm talking with somebody else, you know, as we are now, or just with, with Lee or with my other podcasting partners, then it starts to feel like, all right, this is a conversation and maybe I don't make every single point I wanted to make, but it's just a thing somebody can listen to without feeling that it's it's an artificial structure. I'm, I'm not giving a lecture here.
0: hmm Yeah. Yeah. When I started my podcast, I was doing it alone. It, it was very hard and very awkward. Yeah. It- I don't know, just I'm talking to the mic and there's a lot of um, and, and and pauses and thinkings and editing was terrible. Once I had Julius, just like you said, it becomes a conversation. It just flows more naturally. Those awkward pauses seem to often disappear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do like that about it. So what is, you, you've already kind of said it. What is your show about? You, you chat about games, you talk about what you've been playing and, and then you also review a game. Um, well,
4: it's not exactly a review. It's... Okay. Um, that, well, there, there are two bits to this. So we, we talk about the things we've played, then, then we choose something to swap because Lee and I don't live too far apart. Um, oh, okay. Couple, uh, hour and a half's drive, maybe. And so, you know, b- before well, while it was still restricted, we, we were just sending stuff in the post. And um, Yeah, Apex Theropod takes a lot of uh, postage and packing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most recent ones, I, ju- I just drove up there and dropped off a box with him. But that way we can come back in the next episode and say... Okay, you you said this this and this about it, but I found this other thing, and then, then we get a bit more in depth. About, uh, what what works and what doesn't? I think that really brings home to me. Yeah, you know, we have quite different tastes in games. There obviously there are things we both enjoy, but it it helps us remember that there there isn't going to be ever going to be any single game that everybody should play. Yeah, you know, there, mm-hmm. there are games that are right for me. There are games that are right for you.
2: Yeah, if, that's right. If
4: those, if those aren't the same games, that's that's not a bad thing. It just means. I got to be really careful when I rave about something because I don't want somebody else to say I, b- I bought this because you loved it and it, and I don't.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that. I've always found it awkward to tell people that, like you're saying, this is a good game or a bad game. I've always preferred just describing how the game plays and and you know let you make up your own mind. Does this sound like something that
1: works for you?
4: Yeah, I, I love it because this and this may not be a thing that works for you. So yeah. So yeah, then we, we we sometimes sorry we move on to a uh, particular topic. Uh, it depends on whether we've managed to set up an interview. Uh, but we we talked, for example, with uh, Nicholas Lundstrom Petraka about game development as opposed to design. He he's done the development on, on Lee's recent design. Mm-hmm. And so we went into a bit more detail about what does a, what does a developer actually do? You know, what 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 does he feel free to change? How is he going to try to keep it consistent with the original design? He's not the primary designer. How is he going to modify that? That that came out quite interesting, I thought. And um, mm-hmm. for recently we, we talked about we talked with uh, Michael Krenzel and Ren Miltimaki about um, the cost of manufacturing games. You know, how does this feed into the price? Yes, games are expensive, but. Yeah. Is it justified? Well, obviously, they're going to say it is, but they, they gave reasons for it. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that.
4: The other thing is, I think, um, obviously, you invited me on here. We're, we're not explicitly a solo gaming podcast, um, mm-hmm. but everybody who's been on it is a solo gamer, at least some of the time. So, yeah, we, we may talk about a game that you can't solo, but we will at least say, yeah, all right, this is one you can't. We we, we I think we're solo friendly.
0: Okay, uh, I hadn't. Yeah. I personally hadn't gotten the impression. I thought you're mostly solo and multiplayer friendly, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, however uh, it as, works, as,
4: as long as everybody's happy. I mean, uh, yeah, there you go. I this this could be a long rant, but um, basically, <laughs> for for me, that two of the big parts of what I enjoy about board gaming are the physical bits and mm-hmm. the socializing across the table. And so if if I play a solo game online, that just does nothing for me at all, even if it's a game I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I get I get the bits out, put them out on the garden table where I'm sitting now, and then, that yeah, that, that's something I, I can have fun with. So, yeah, I've, the the bits are a big part of it for me.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I find the digital versions of war games just not very satisfying most of the time. It's neat if it's against another player. Like I've played on... Hmm. a. Yukata Day and uh, BGA lately, and and I have fun playing with my friends, but the game itself is just not as fun online. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. Um, you also I mean, recently he, talked to a, a game store owner about the experience. Yeah, Gr- Christoph Rice,
4: uh, okay, who who hadn't, he would started off um, his, his place actually not that long before the lockdown happened, but I mean oh, he he'd got you know regular gaming nights and things set up. And obviously, all that's had to change. So yeah, I, I think from probably ought to uh, it, it's been three months. You're from the ought to pester him again sometime and say, you know, how, how are things changing now that he's allowed to reopen again?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would enjoy hearing that. I found that really interesting getting to hear stories about just. It felt to me like a story about a regular person, yeah, a game store owner, and it's relevant to the subject. But it was just mm-hmm. needs to see how people are, are doing and coping with things, and and how everything is affecting them.
4: Obviously, they're, they're some some of our guests are pretty well known, but I don't think we have the whole celebrity thing. Out. This is <laughs> this is somebody that Lee has spoke has known already and has spoken to and said, "Hey, do you want to be on this?" It's not, "Oh, oh great designer, would could, would you deign to give us an interview?" So, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, as you are saying earlier, it, it, it's just continuing the idea of we're having a conversation. It happens to be a conversation about this thing, mm-hmm. rather than this is a formal program with this and that and the other.
0: Yeah, I, I like. I really enjoyed the the interviews you guys have done. Um, I personally found it really interesting. So, so what inspired you guys to do a podcast? Well,
4: I've been doing a role playing podcast, uh, okay. improvised radio theater with dice, uh, for for a few years uh, with, with with a different friend who lives even closer to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, I'd already got the um, editing pipeline pretty much sorted out, and. I, I, I know how much work it is to put together a monthly episode mm-hmm. of, of that. Uh, and I'd been talking about this really beginning of 2020. I started thinking, yeah, all right, maybe it's time actually to do something about this that I've been muttering about for a while, and then promptly didn't. <laughs> and then uh, six months later, Lee got back to me and said, hey, I've got a bunch more time now. Shall we actually start recording? So, yeah, absolutely. And and it, it took off from there. Uh Okay. It's interesting to see, you know, I, I've pretty much invented the workflow that I use with, with um, Mike, my role-playing podcast partner. Mm. And that, that's developed from both of us as we go along. Now I'm suddenly uh, giving it to a new person and saying, yeah, all right, this, this is what I do as normal. But, you know, please tell me the things you want different. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, rather, yeah. Than, rather than here is the way that I will
0: impose on you. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a co- collaborative process, right? You want to you work together as a team. Yeah. So have you ever done any solo role-playing games or is your role-playing
4: multiplayer? No. To me, role-playing is mostly about not the um, dungeon crawler side of things, but about the characters. You know, mm-hmm. who, who is this person? Why Why are they doing what they're doing? How are they interacting with other people? And all right, you, you can do that a bit in solo, but it's not really what solo tends to be about. So yeah. solo role-playing for me, it feels like a bit of a contradiction. um in terms of the sort of thing i do uh so yeah it's very much multiplayer um i'm in a couple of groups which at the moment are meeting online some of them always meet online because we're scattered across the country um yeah i've I've been role-playing since the early 1980s okay and really got into board gaming a lot more recently so role-playing is is sort of the mother hobby for that (laughs) Ah, i see okay very cool what games do you role-play uh, my favorite system is GURPS. Uh, okay. St. Jackson games. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, full disclosure. I, I have written a couple of books for that.
0: Oh, really? Okay,
4: cool. <laughs> um,
0: so mostly, you're a game designer. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's why
4: I get the game, game designer badge on BGG. Uh, okay. uh it, it's, it looks like a complicated system. If you, if you just start with, start with the core cool book and say, wow, there's all this stuff in it, but, in any given game, you won't use most of that stuff. It's because it's a universal system, so you can use the same basic rules if you're playing fantasy or modern day mm-hmm. or superheroes or whatever. Um, so the rules have to be flexible for that, but what you actually use in one game is, is is a tiny fraction of it. And I just I just like it because at the core of it, you've got skills. You Somebody can be better at a thing than somebody else. That's all you really need for a role-playing game as far as I'm concerned. But if you want to drill down to all right, can you actually shoot through this old tank armor with this modern high-powered rifle? It can answer that question for you.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so is there anything else people should know about your podcast?
4: Uh, I would say we're not wedded to a particular format. I mean, I've talked about what mm-hmm. we've been doing so far, and that's, that's working for us. But if, if there's anything else somebody would like us to cover, um, yeah, give us a shout, even if it doesn't seem to fit into that. Uh, we're not doing this for the money. We're doing it because we enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wants to say, hey, do, do a deep dive on this game. Well, yeah, I guess we could have a look at that.
0: Okay, I like it. So yeah, the I like that uh, you're still just not worried. Like you said, not stuck, stuck to a format. I, I enjoy that. Um
4: it, it's. I found it very easy to get into a rut of this is the thing we always say at the start of the show. This is the thing we always say at the end <laughs> of the show. Uh, maybe to some extent that that's kind of reassuring because some, somebody knows. Yeah, this is the same people doing the same kind of thing. But it, it's too easy. It's it's too tempting. Yeah, <laughs> just always to do the same thing.
0: Yeah, I know. You know, with the with the one player podcast, we've always had a format, and it has changed over time. There's at one point where we had we were doing about two hour recordings every other week, which is grueling. Never go there. (laughs) That's a a lot of effort. But, um, you know, it was always a news and Kickstarter section and then we had a segment or an interview and then a game review. And it was very procedural. But sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, if if you're not into the, I don't know, say the the news of that week, because whatever reason you just don't care about the games or whatever, it could get hard to do those segments if you're not into it. And then, then you sort of stuck in this format that you don't want to do sometimes, but you kind of have to. And that's not yeah. fun.
4: Yeah, I, I think we're going to try to avoid
0: doing that. Uh, yeah, good call. I, if, 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 people, if
4: people offer us huge amounts of money to do the same thing all the time, we'll think about yeah.
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, send the money and then, yeah, send the money yeah. and that'll pay us to think about it. <laughs> Very cool. So uh, let's go ahead and finish this up. And let t- I want you to tell me about some solo some I've said solo game I guess it doesn't have to be solo game tell us about a game you'd like to share with listeners
4: uh well okay Let, let's say a solo game then um i'm going to say leaving earth okay which I, I believe you you've mentioned on the uh, 1PP before
0: i've heard of i've never played it at all i've heard of it and it sounds okay. interesting yeah
4: it's basically the exploration of the solar system uh, more mm-hmm. or less historically uh so I suppose you could say kind of the same sort of idea as High Frontier, but a whole lot less complicated. And it, it comes in a small box for a start. Um, so you start off in nineteen fifty-five and mm-hmm. you you basically know you, you know all the things that the telescopes can tell you. So you know, for example, you you know Venus has got an atmosphere and you know roughly you know how big the planet is, what the surface gravity is gonna be like, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. But okay. you don't
4: know, you don't know the details. So one of the one of the theories about Venus was that there there might it might be a thick cloud layer with liquid water underneath, and mm-hmm. it, that might happen. You you draw an outcome card when you actually put a probe there, you, and you don't know in advance what's what's going to be there. Uh, so There's- so what what you it could end up going completely ahistorical yeah, just on maybe this is how it works in in this particular time through the game. Uh, then you've got you, you'll draw a selection of missions, uh, which might be, you know, put a probe on the moon, uh, land a man on Venus and get them back again, that kind of thing. And, of okay. course, some, some of these missions may be impossible. <laughs> you, you don't know yet.
0: Okay. So you don't know until you until you go there?
4: Yeah. Uh, you, you, you need to put a probe close to Venus to say, right, okay, now, now we get an actual analysis of the atmosphere. Now now we know what it's really like. Oh, okay. And, of, of course... <laughs> In the multiplayer game, you're racing against other players to complete these missions. In the single player game, uh, you're just trying to complete as many as you can before the end of the, of, of the timer. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in either case, if you've got a t- got a time pressure, you may say, well, okay, I'd like to get the Venus probe out there first, but we're just going to send a manned mission, and then if they can't land, they can come home again. Which no. is which? Which will be more expensive? But it will get me that mission goal <laughs> faster if it's a mission I can actually do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're designing the rockets yourself, and th- this is where people say the game gets can get a bit mathy. Um, I okay. I mean, if if you don't like maths, then yes, may not may not be a game that you get on <laughs> with well. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, e- each manoeuvre you you can do this from the table. Or you can do it with a calculator. Um, you've got the difficulty of the manoeuvre multiplied by the mass of the spacecraft you're you're putting through it. Okay. Yep. Has to be less than the thrust of the rockets you're firing to do it. Okay. A a really small rocket may not have a lot of power, so even if you have ten of them, it might not be enough. Um on the other hand, if you use a larger rocket, it's more efficient and that's great. But it's a it's a big rocket which you have to let let's say you you, you have a, a rocket for getting from um Earth orbit to Mars orbit, say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to lift that rocket into Earth orbit to start with. So, oh, okay, yep. so the bigger your mission gets, the more expensive the whole thing gets. And the, and right. the bigger the the bigger the end of it gets, the more expensive the beginning gets. Gotcha. So, I, yeah, some people do this with spreadsheets. I, I actually do it on a piece of paper. <laughs> so um, it's
0: a relatively detailed simulation type game, but it's also kind of random and sounds like it's also just kind of fun.
4: Yeah, it, it does make some um i it, it I I've done actual rocket equations and okay. it, it, it's a gameable model of rocket equations, it's not a precise simulation. And particularly you, you don't you don't have to do anything like orbit calculations, you just say, okay, I'm here, I want to be there, I look up the board and that tells me how difficult it's gonna be. Gotcha, okay. But what what you are doing is designing uh, which rockets am I gonna use for this maneuver? How long is it going to take? Okay, I need to send supplies for the crew through that three-year maneuver. Uh, that kind of thing. So there, there's a lot of, if I do this, it changes that, and then it's going to feed back and change this again. Uh, mm-hmm. cal- uh, calculation in there. Um, but yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you also have a, a bit of uncertainty because when, when you first build, for example, your big rocket, you have outcome cards and maybe it'll work perfectly each time you've tested it as well as you can but there's always that chance that it'll just fail or explode when you ignite it
2: oh. well, okay. so uh, this <laughs> that is sounds another cool. thing
4: it's another thing that's a drain on your time and money i mean you c- you can if you take long enough get it to fully reliable
0: mm-hmm.
4: but can you afford to do that if you need to get the mission launched next year
0: oh gosh that you know that sounds really cool because it sounds like it's a deep game with a lot of math, like you said, and not necessarily complicated math, but math anyway, and a lot of thinkingness. But also ends up telling you a really interesting story at the end about the the life cycle of your program, your space program.
4: Yeah, why why did we do it this way? In in this game, maybe there weren't any manned mission goals, so we did everything with remote probes. Uh, th- this time, we decided to use this sort of drive to to try because you know you, you've you've got conventional. Um, One shot rockets. You've also got ion thrusters, which have very low thrust, take a very long time to get anywhere, but you can keep using them. Awesome. So, <laughs> so that's another decision to make. You know, are you going to go down that route? I, I, and so on. It's. I think it's as complicated as you want to make it. I mean, I, I've played mm-hmm. an intro game where we just said, okay, uh, base game only, because there are two expansions. Um, We'll ignore this and this and just do this part of the game, and that's fine. You you don't have to use all of it at once, e- even in terms of just what's in the g- base game box. Mm. So yeah, you can make it arbitrarily complicated. And I I, I have had a four-hour session, <laughs> but I but I was not rushing. I was just dawdling and enjoying it. Gotcha.
0: So. <laughs> okay. That that it sounds cool. I like I like that it also has the expansions. That's a really interesting sounding game. I we'll I have to check it out. I don't know that I'd ever get time to play, but it sure looks like it'd even be fun just to learn how to play the game.
4: <laughs> if you've got a big table or if you play on Tabletop Simulator and and you know, some way you can leave it set up from one session to another, that can work pretty well too. Gotcha. Yeah, just remember to leave notes about what's happening where.
0: Oh yeah. But well, we already <laughs> said, digital games, not as fun. Not as fun, <laughs> true. So big table. All right. Well, Roger, thank you very much for coming on. Um, oh, thank you. I hope folks enjoyed listening to more games in time. Check it out. And um, we'll have another episode up uh, quite shortly. Oh, really? Excellent. I look forward to that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you.